0: Well, we're recording, Peter. I should have shaved. I didn't realize this was video. It's this is video. We're, this 2023, Peter. We're doing video because it's what all the kids do.
1: I know. All of your media is a multi-platform venture.
0: It's going to be all over TikTok. We're going to be the rage. 54-year-old <laughs> men are going to take over TikTok.
1: Yeah, just like we did Facebook. All
0: right. So we're going to talk today about your mission to bring joy to the world, specifically Boston, through donuts. Yeah, I'm game. But there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk about today. So first of all, everybody, this is my friend Peter Gladstone. We were classmates in business school at Tuck, and I'm representing the the right. colors today. Maybe we'll get some love from the school. I don't know. Maybe we won't. So first of all, Peter's one of the funniest, driest sense of humor guys I know. He's not as funny as me, but he's pretty damn funny. And he's had a really interesting career, which we're going to go over. We're going to talk about how he got where he is and how he is today. He's pursuing a work mission that is based on fun. Would you say it's based on fun, Peter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the day it stops being fun is the day we close our doors. All right.
0: So we're talking about bringing joy to the world through donut holes. And what's the name of the company again? Mass Hole Donuts. Mass hole. What is a mass hole? First of all, for the listeners who haven't had the joy of living in New England. Talk to me about what a mass, what, yeah. what the cultural implications
1: of a mass hole is. Well, I think it depends who you ask. If you ask someone outside of Massachusetts, a mass hole is someone from Massachusetts that the rest of the country hates. It's Red Sox fan, Patriots fans. It's the academic arrogance. It's everything you hate about Massachusetts rolled up into one word. So it's supposed to be derogatory. But as true Massachusettsans, or, you know, it's a point of pride for us. We wear it as a badge. I don't think there's anything better you could be called than a masshole to like make your day.
0: Is there a well known cultural icon, pop cultural figure that, for those of us who don't live in Massachusetts, that we could point to and go, oh, that's what that is?
1: I, I think the best representation of it is probably a Saturday Night Live skit where. Tasty Affleck. Affleck. Yes. <laughs> And the Dunkin' Donuts fake ad, and he's like, you know, you're. <laughs> they're like, there's no smoking in here, and he has his hand out the door with his cigarette. He's like, I'm not in <laughs> here. Like, if you watch that skin, it just it epitomizes a true asshole.
0: So, give me three or four attributes of mass holes. What are those personality traits?
1: Arrogant. I don't rough around the edges, is a f- and um, I mean, arrogant and pride are the same thing, but. Um, <sighs> Passionate. Passionate about what? About Massachusetts and who they are and how great Massachusetts is. Like they, there's nowhere else. I mean, no one, you never hear someone be like, God, I'm so stressed. I need to go visit Massachusetts to relax, right? Like it's, that's, a, <laughs> we're not a destination for that, right? Like, But to us, there's no place we'd rather be.
0: Right, right. Well, maybe Nantucket or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Or or, or the Cape. You can relax yeah. there. Yeah. So would the guys from Goodwill Hunting, would Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, speaking of the Affleck family, would they be mass holes?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I think whether or not they fit the definition, I think everyone from Massachusetts would like to think of themselves as mass holes. They certainly can embody that persona, and I think they would do it with pride. So the company we're talking about is Masshole Donuts,
0: which is a purveyor of donut holes that has a very particular brand based on Massachusetts. But before we talk about that, I want to go back in time and let's briefly cover your career since graduate school. Tell me how you've been spending the last, you spent the 20 years after graduate school.
1: Yeah. So the 20 years, so right out of graduate school, I went into consumer marketing. I went to work for Gillette. I was there for about 10 years. They got ended up being bought by P&G, which is the point which I exited. Wanted to stay in the Boston area. Ended up going to the Boston Beer Company, sort of better known as Sam Adams. Did that for another 10 years. And so sort of had enough with company with, you know, big company culture job and decided I want to do stuff more entrepreneurial. So I left that. I now spend three days a week, which I've been doing for the past six years at the Harvard Innovation Lab, mentoring students who have consumer product ideas. And then the other two days a week, just working on my own passion adventures. So you
0: became an expert in, in products that find their consumer. What was, what were you good at, at Gillette and Boston Beer that kept you in that job for so long?
1: Yeah, I think it was translating insights into meaningful products. So I think it was doing the marketing, but not just sort of the fluff, but really understanding the customer and the consumer so we could build meaningful products and that people would connect with and that really solved the problem. Because ultimately, if I had to say what I ended up specializing in, it was new products. That's where when I left Gillette, I was working in new product development. Then at Boston Beer, ended up being in charge of innovation and focused a lot on sort of new product development and then just building out the consumer side of the brands.
0: So 20 years or 19-ish years, and, and you were, what kind of products did you work on at Gillette and at Boston Beer? I'm
1: Gillette, I started in razors, worked on the male shaving. Then I went to personal care where I did deodorants, and mm. then ultimately left when I, when I was at Oral-B working on next-generation toothbrushes and oral care platforms.
0: From deodorant to donuts, that's quite a stretch. And what brands were you working on at Boston Beer?
1: Boston Beer started off on Twisted Tea, spent half my career just managing the Twisted Tea business, being involved with that. And then the back half took on more of the advertising across the whole Boston Beer portfolio. So Twisted Tea, obviously Sam Adams, and then dabbled a little in, you know, maybe Angry Orchard or Truly or some of the other stuff they had going on. But really the focus was Twisted Tea and Sam Adams. Somebody called me recently and, and they wanted to talk about the
0: fact that they had a really good consulting career, but they wanted to bring humor to their job, that they wanted to exercise that muscle, right, about the same the same thing they get when they perform stand-up comedy. They somehow wanted to bring that to their job. Were you ever able to be the funny guy in your job at Gillette and at Boston Beer?
1: Oh, yeah, no, I was always the funny guy because it made people want to – quickly you learn, especially in a really big organization, when you're junior, you don't have – a lot of influence, right? You have to earn respect or get people to like you to want to do stuff for you. So for me, that was through humor and likability. I mean, ultimately, I think it probably hurt my career because I wasn't, you know, <laughs> managed, <laughs> I wasn't senior management potential. Like, well, right, I, right. Uh, right. Like no one could see me as the president of a division when I have, you know, the Groucho Mark eyes and glass, you know, nose and glasses on. But you know what? It helped me get projects done. So I think there was a trade-off, honestly, with that, but it was a trade-off I was willing to take. I wasn't going to, you know, do a 40-year career and try to be the president. I wanted to be authentic to myself, and I want to enjoy what I was doing. And humor is such a big part of that. But I think I then also gra- gravitated towards other people who embraced humor as a tool for bonding and getting stuff done. And when there's stress, it just it makes the workplace better. And I think funny people work better. They have a better outcome because they're not stressed. What did the Harvard Innovation Lab see in you? I think mean, they just needed someone who. Are you really Harvard
0: who, material, Peter? No, no.
1: No, but when I started there, it was the the innovation center was brand new, and so they're like desperate for someone to help work with the team. So they're literally, I was sitting there because I was visiting with a friend, and someone yeah. the head of the place came over and like, "Who are you?" And so I'm like, "Oh, I'm here with so and so." I'm just, and they're like, "Oh, what did you do?" I was like, "Oh, I had a you know 20 year career," and they're literally like, "Oh, do you want a job?" And I was like. <laughs> no, I'm retired. Actually, I don't want a job. They're like, "Well, what about part time? You know, and you get full benefits." I'm like, "Okay." So that was yeah. that was the process for getting it. Now you go through weeks of interviewing and case studies, and like, I don't know if I would have gotten my job today.
0: Yeah, well, that's what everybody says. I couldn't have gotten into my school when I were applying
1: today. No, but I mean, if I even think about how I would have answered questions then versus now, I think now I'm good at it and I understand how to connect with students and I understand how to give them meaningful feedback and really help them move their ventures forward. But did I know that after working at a Fortune 500 company where I had every resource I could ever imagine? Maybe. I definitely do now. But, you know, the, the iLab has evolved and I've evolved with it.
0: I was talking to a former CMO of some big brands, and he said, "When I needed, when I needed a copyright done, when I worked at name of big companies, like all I did is pick up the phone and call legal, which yeah. you must have been familiar with at at your companies. But now that you're an entrepreneur, you got to do all that kind of stuff yourself."
1: Yeah, no, you do everything yourself. So, right. and it's a, it's it's a totally different animal, which is why a lot of people who go from big companies to small don't succeed because they're used to having resources. And it's more about making decisions than rolling up your sleeves and getting it done. It's a totally different skill set. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It's just not as easy a transition as people would think.
0: Now, you said a few minutes ago that when you went to Harvard, just on a visitation type thing, you were retired. When did you retire and how did you decide it was time to retire?
1: My goal was, or my decision came at, it was at Boston Beer I had been there 10 years, had done well financially, well enough where I'm like, okay, I you know, can pay for my kids' schools. We can have a, you know maintain our lifestyle. And my kids were at that age where they were just becoming teens. And I'm like, this is going to be the last summer for me to be the cool dad.
0: Right. And I'm like,
1: you know what? I'm never <laughs> going to get this back. And what I always hear from people is the biggest mistake parents can make is they work really hard and they on their career and they, at the expense of the family. You can't go back and rebond with your kids. So I didn't want to make that mistake. And then someone else had said, and this stuck with me, no one wealthy on their deathbed wishes they made more money. And I was Mm. like, I made millions and millions of dollars, no, but I've made enough. that I now want to go out and have experiences. And I want to enjoy life and not spend, like, Boston Beer was amazing. And I can't ever see going to a different company because it checked so many boxes for me. But it was a big brand at a small company. So all I was, there was an incremental more responsibility that I was going to get if I stayed. And I'm like, do I really want to stay another five years and just churn out more ads or try to create more products? Like there's just diminishing returns versus what you could be doing otherwise. And yeah, it definitely came at a trade-off for money, but it was a trade-off I was more than willing to take.
0: Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with Peter Gladstone. But I wanted to bring to your attention the fact that I'll be doing comedy all over these fine southeastern United States in the next couple of months. And I would love to see you or someone you know and whom you've told about these shows at one of these shows in Atlanta, Georgia, Brazzleton, Georgia, Charlotte, North Carolina, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Columbus, Georgia, LAJ, USA, Fort Walton, Beach, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Woodstock, Georgia, and there will be lots more added as we go along, check out PaulOllinger.com, Click on shows. You'll see the updated show list there. You can also follow me on Facebook or Instagram to make sure you're getting the latest Paul Olinger comedy news, which is really, really important. All right. Back to Peter Gladstone. You've always had these crazy ideas, right? And yes. And some of them you've tried to turn into businesses and some have worked yes. and some haven't. Walk me through some of the wacky ideas you've helped bring to life.
1: God, there's so many. Where to start? I I would say the wackiest, and again, that wacky is just someone else's definition. But did I, I forget? Did I ever? T- did I ever tell you about stool VR?
0: God, I don't even. know. Do I want to know?
1: Yeah, I think you did. Yes, you yes. did. Oh Basically, my god, you the did concept me. was I was trying to figure out what's that killer app for for VR. So you think back to when the <laughs> iPhone came out, and like some guy made it right. like. Look, the face looks like a mirror and when you blow on it, it fogs up. Right. And at yeah. ninety-nine cents sold a million, and he was like the first app millionaire for a a mirror app. And I'm like, yeah. there's gotta be what's that first app for VR? Because right now it's all embraced by gamers. And my kids were using it. And I was like, Wow, this is incredible. So I was like, what would be some non-gaming application that you could that would make everyone want to try it? And when do you have the most downtime? It's when you're sitting on the can. So the idea is you put the headset on and you can, cho- you could be taking a dump at Hogwarts. You could be going to the bathroom in the Simpsons bathroom, the, you know, Windsor Castle or, you know, out in the middle of, the- you can, ha- you can go to the bathroom in the middle of the woods and see a bear doing it too. And finally answer that age old question.
0: So, right. Okay.
1: Right, so, so the whole idea was you could, while you're sitting there, you could choose a bathroom, any bathroom in the world to be going to the bathroom in.
0: That, that solved so, a huge problem.
1: Yeah, so that's wacky.
0: Um, Did that get off the ground?
1: So we had prototypes. So this is like classic entrepreneur job. I was like, got it all the way to where we had demos. Like you could go and be in Windsor Castle or the Simpsons bathroom. Or maybe it was Hogwarts. So we had two experiences. Then I go meet with someone who's from the industry who has created an app. And all they do is talk about how hard it is and how negative and like you never want to do it. And so I just totally lost steam with it.
0: I can just picture, you know, some dude sitting there with a VR headset on, with on the, on the toilet, with his jeans around. His oh, anyway, all yeah, right, no,
1: okay. Wait, 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 but we also we had the best go to market strategy. We're gonna name it Game of Thrones, and then let you <laughs> know sue us, so we get all this visibility.
0: That's hilarious. Okay,
1: <laughs> let's talk about
0: why. Why have you bought and sold so many blue socks in the last
1: decade? So, my son in fifth grade got really into birds and he was, it was a science. It was, he was in science class, got, they were doing a section on birds. He got into it and he learned about this bird called the blue footed booby, which is this bird from Galapagos and has this bright blue feet. He's like, dad, their population's declining. And you know, no one knows why. And I really want to help. And right. He was like 12 at the time. I'm like, all right, go come up with an idea thinking like any kid will go away and I'll never hear from him again. And then he comes back to me two days later and he's like, dad, I want to sell blue socks because if everyone has blue feet, they care about the bird with blue feet. I'm like, oh, my God, that's genius. So, like, Mm. go on with him to like Alibaba. We find some blue sock manufacturer. He and his brother create some website. You know, fast forward to today, they've sold over 30,000 pairs of socks and donated over $200,000 to... Blue footed booby conservation to the point where they sponsored the first ever population decline study by the expert in blue footed boobies. So, oh, like, wow, and, for- and they got
0: pressed and they got
1: pressed. Yeah, in they, got big pressed, they, they got a lot of support, which was great. And every day they're packing up socks.
0: <laughs> Do you think they've watched how you bring ideas to life and, and took inspiration from that?
1: I don't know, because every time I tell them a new idea, they're like, dad, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) They've actually yet to be supportive of any idea I've ever had.
0: While we're on the topic of feet, what's your sneaker side hustle?
1: Oh, no, you'll see behind me boxes just like tens of thousands of other people. Every time there's a sneaker drop, I'm like online trying to get one of the pairs of sneakers so that I can go on to either eBay or StockX and resell them. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're even familiar with that whole reseller market, but it is insane. Yeah. Again, now that there's 50-year-old, you know, white suburban 50-year-olds playing in this game, I'm sure it's going to die quickly.
0: Right. Yeah. Newton, Massachusetts, getting into the sneaker game. Way to go. So where did the idea for Masshole Donuts come from? As I think about this as like such a great brand, it's almost like you had the idea and then the product followed the brand.
1: So it was actually the opposite, but I, I totally agree with you. And we can talk about the brand in a second. The, I was up in Portland and in Portland, Maine, it's like this haven of like crazy donut gourmet donut shops, almost like in every right. other city where you see gourmet cupcakes for whatever reason, no. Portland no. gourmet donuts. So I wait in line for like 20 minutes, get this box of donuts where, cause there are all these funky flavors. I don't know what I want. So like, I'll just get a dozen. And I end up taking a bite of each and Throwing it out because like chocolate chipotle bacon sounds cool, but I don't want a whole one. And I was like, God, right. you know, these should just be munchkins. They should be about variety because no one wants a full one. And going back to my beer days, I know if if I have to if I have to come up with a recipe for you to drink twelve ounces of a beer, it has to be sessionable. So I have really I have certain constraints over how flavorful I can make it. But if you're what doing is a,
0: session? I don't know. It's
1: what is session? You think you're going to be drinking one or two of them, right? Like you want right. to be. This is my beer for the night, and I'm just going to be drinking a lot of it. Mm. Versus, I'm doing a flight of crazy beers, and I'm only having three ounces, right? If yeah. you're only having three ounces, it can be these wacky, crazy flavors because you're looking for something different than if you were to drink an entire bottle.
0: Which works on premise at the bar or at a restaurant, maybe, but not at my. You're not going to sell me thirty-six three-ounce no, bottles of beer. No. Right.
1: So I was like, God, if these were munchkins, you could do all these crazy flavors. And then driving home to Boston at some point, I was thinking about it. And what popped in my head was, oh, my God, these should be called mass holes because they're just donut holes. (laughs) You name them after Massachusetts (laughs) landmarks and celebrities. And I left it at that. I literally was like, I should just make T-shirts because I have in the past made T-shirts for fake companies that I just thought would be awesome. Um, like what? <laughs> like what? So, if you think about what I wanted to start a t-shirt company, I'm like, what? Are, who buys the most t-shirts? Right, college guys. So, what are they right. like? They like they. What do they love and what do they hate? And can we combine them? Well, everyone hates getting a haircut. They love topless bars, so the idea is, what about nips and clips, a topless barber shop? So I literally <laughs> created the website. I had these fake T-shirts, and it, every time someone and I did advertising on like Facebook and Instagram, and right, it was right. the, the webcam was always under construction, but our corporate store was open if you wanted to buy a T-shirt. <laughs> so I was thinking about that model for. Did you now, get people complaining about about your,
0: about you the name of your company?
1: No, the only time it backfired on me actually was, and I did that like I think at Gillette, so that was like fifteen years ago. Was mm. I had to use it as a case study at the Innovation Lab at Harvard? And mm-hmm. got, after but, after the, the the session, got bombarded with emails about how inappropriate it was.
0: <laughs> this so is what was, I'm saying like, is like that the,
1: that in my defense, how do you survive. How do you survive the
0: corporate world with this kind of brain, man? I don't know.
1: That's why I'm making donuts. (laughs) And not even a full one, just the holes. Okay, so So, nips and clips. Yeah, so nips and clips. Then I was like, oh, I should follow that model with mass holes. And so I I just randomly mentioned it to someone at the iLab. I'm like, I had the funniest idea this weekend. You know, donut holes, mass hole donuts. And they're like, oh, my roommate from college hates his job and loves making donuts. Whoa, what are the odds? So I was like, I got to yeah. meet him. So I met him, we hit it off, and then we just started playing around with the idea, going to farmer's markets, ultimately some breweries, and you know, just doing pop-ups, just testing the mm-hmm. idea. And yeah. you know, we really hit on an insight. And you know, I think someone, one of our customers sort of said it best, like, you know, when you bring a box of donuts into an office – they sit there all day, someone like, will take a knife and like cut them into pieces, But if, and it sits there. But if if someone brings in like a box of donut holes, they're gone in like two minutes, right? Like there's yeah. something about, you just kind of want one or two bites. So we're mm-hmm. like, you know what? We, we're gonna elevate the donut hole, right? Like let's respect the hole and let's just make it. Which yeah, by the way, hashtag respect the hole is something we're working <laughs> on in a bigger campaign. <laughs> So it's <laughs> how do we bring that and just give people a really interesting culinary experience through the donut hole because that's really what people want. And so so, so you go to farmers markets for a year or two how did it grow? So we went to farmers markets We went to breweries. We started to get more and more requests. And we were, like, Mm -hmm. doing it once a month. So all of a sudden we get people, like, we started to get a social media following. Because that's how we would tell people where we were going to be. And people were like, where are you? When are you open? Can you, will you cater events? And you can't cater events when we're working out of a shared kitchen once a month. So we're like, oh, let's go, let's take this to the next level. Like, we kind of feel like we're getting enough love that maybe we should open up a shop. So Mm -hmm. we tried to find the smallest, cheapest place we could just open in. And started that way with our first sort of brick and mortar store.
0: Okay. So you have a great brand, but what direction did you take your product? And how did you like, because you have a great brand and your product can suck. Right. But how did you decide where to go with the holes? Like from a culinary perspective.
1: So I, sorry, I missed the second half of the question, but the brand. So the brand is a double-edged sword. What the brand gives us is like instant sort of recognition and attention so, like, we ended up getting Best of Boston in our second year, which, no, you know, we wouldn't have got that kind of visibility if it was Pete's Donuts. Right. So people automatically resonate with the brand, but it also can signal gimmick, right? Like, ha-ha, Massville Donuts, I'll go get a T-shirt and maybe I'll try it once. So we actually right. have to hold, if, if we want to really build something that matters and that's special, we have to hold our recipes and our taste to a certain standard, probably even higher than the regular donut shop, because people are coming in expecting it to be gimmicky. So we will literally throw batches away and we if they don't taste right. Like, we don't want to – if it's a gimmick, no one wants to be in the gimmick business. It's great for mm-hmm. a year, and then you're gone. It's like, no, we have this amazing brand that makes us bigger than we would ever get on our own that can ultimately become something. And some could argue it's ultimately going to be more powerful than the donuts themselves, right? Anyone can knock off a recipe – But once you have a brand that's powerful, that's what people are going to want. That's the value. So how do we, the donuts have to do justice and balance the gimmickiness that that could show. The great thing is if you can execute that, which so far we've been able to, and now the challenge is how do you keep that going? We were going to have a really powerful product, meaning these are the best donuts I've ever tried. And oh my God, I love this brand. And if you can hit that, that's like the magic of marketing that's really hard to do.
0: So walk me through some of the dials or uh, recipes that you're selling.
1: So because we embrace variety, and that's what this whole idea is, we, change, we actually change our menu every week. So we usually only do six donut holes. We might keep one or two. You know, some of the more fun ones, you know, Mama's Little Mass Hole, which is the kid's, <laughs> kids version. My favorite that we've been working on is Boston. has. Hor- We're known for Horrible Roads. So,
0: (laughs) right, right, everyone knows
1: the the holes there. So, we are, you know, we've developed the pothole, which will be a cannabis infused donut hole, um, Uh, as a uh tribute to the roads. You know, we have a drunken mass hole. We obviously have a big poppy for David Ortiz. One of the patriots in the Super Bowl, we did a goat for Tom Mm. Brady, which was like a goat cheese infused donut hole. Um, we're gonna. We ha- luckily we haven't been in the position where we have leftovers, but we know we're gonna call our day old ones the Plymouth Rocks. So <laughs> it's just it's just all about like embracing the names. And what's great is we have such fun, passionate customers. Like we'll go online and do a naming contest and all of a sudden there'll be like thirty names in Instagram that are amazing of what a don't you know, what a mass hole donut could be.
0: And you could draw from so many dif- – you could draw from the historical aspects of Boston, or you could have, like, yeah. the Danny Ainge donut hole. Yeah, the-
1: and even – there's so much that's been invented in Massachusetts or part of Massachusetts lore that we draw from. So, like, we do, for, we do this amazing hot cider donut that we put real chunks of apple in, and we call it the Johnny Appleseed because Johnny Appleseed actually was from Massachusetts, like, is, is a real figure. And He was a real dude. He was a real dude who went around throwing apple seeds everywhere with a pot on
0: his head. With yeah. a pot on his head, <laughs> that right. part might have been. made He was up, a like, lunatic. He was a lunatic, is what he but was. Now he has
1: a massive donut named after. He's a legend.
0: That's legacy. Yeah, that's legacy. Yeah. So, are you? What's the goal? What do you want to do with this thing? Because it's so fun and so cool. But like, you could screw this up really bad if you wanted to. We
1: could totally screw it up. We could try to franchise. Like, I think our our objective is how do we create a true Boston institution and landmark, right? Like Mm -hmm. someone comes to Boston and their friends say, you got to have a cup of clam chowder and a mass hole. Like we want to be really protective of the brand and the quality. So I don't think that means, hey, we're going to compete with Dunkin's and put a mass hole on every corner. I think we get, let's become a destination. Yeah. Are we leaving money on the table? Sure. But that's not our objective. We want to create something meaningful and special that gets people excited. Like I had this experience and I think in all of my career dealing with consumers, whether it's sitting in bars talking about, you know, people's favorite beer or standing in an aisle talking to someone about what floss they use or their, what deodorant (laughs) fragrance they like the best. I was showing up to the shop late and I saw this father and son walking down the street away from the shop, clutching this box of donut holes and like looking at each other with this smile and anticipation and I got goosebumps, like, oh, my God, I just created this amazing moment for this father and son. As someone who creates products, that was probably the most proud of any of the products I've ever been involved in. And obviously, there are products that sold more money, were more profitable, but it's about joy. And yeah. so that it's hard to extend joy. You think of how many restaurants have franchised, and everyone says, oh, it's never like the original. Like, I don't ever want to be in a yeah. situation where someone's like, God, that Massel's was not like the original shop. Like... So I think right now the goal is just be really protective and nurture it. We'll be back with Peter in just a second. You know, I was
0: thinking about what it means to make a cultural contribution to a place, which is what Peter is doing with Mass hole Donuts. And I started thinking about all the great bands that come from Boston. So I thought I'd compile for you my top 10 favorite songs from Boston bands. Here we go. Coming in at number 10, Peace of Mind by... Well, Boston, obviously. This is probably the best song on the list, but the name of the band is just a little bit too on the nose. All right, number nine, Monkey Gone to Heaven by the Pixies. Number eight, I'm shipping up to where? Boston by the Dropkick Murphys, as made famous in that Martin Scorsese film with Matt Damon, Alec Baldwin, and Marky Mark. Number seven, the impression that I get by the mighty, mighty Boston's. I've never had to knock on wood. Number six, this one might surprise you. Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. Yeah, baby. Number five. Oh, this one goes back to my 80s heart. Voices Carry by Till Tuesday. Didn't know they were a Boston band till I googled it, but now I know. Number four. Yeah, baby. Hanging tough by New Kids on the Block, N-K-O-T-B, coming in at number four. Number three, gritty bass, great rock and roll band Aerosmith with Love in an Elevator, coming in at number two. Do you know what it's going to be? Do you know what it's going to be? Moving in stereo by The Cars. Yeah, if you've ever seen Fast Time at Ridgemont High, you know what I'm talking about. And coming in at number one, the best song ever, ever created, ever recorded by a band from Boston or nearby, including New Bedford, meh, LFO's Summer Girls. That's right. That is the greatest cultural contribution ever made by a band from Boston. Now back to Peter Gladstone, Chief Masshole. You need to have a Massell's Donut at the Encore Casino in the, uh, yeah. in Boston. Yeah.
1: In the airport.
0: So go figure. You have a more personal connection to this brand that you've created than with the dental floss that you marketed 20 years ago. Describe the difference in the feeling about when you go towards something that you create versus working for somebody else.
1: I mean, I think the power of creating something is something that's always gravitated towards. Like, I remember early on in my career having a conversation with someone who, insanely smart, much better career trajectory than I ever had. And I remember him saying nothing scares him more than a white, you know, an empty whiteboard. Like, he, like, (laughs) loves data. He loves this stuff. And then looking through it, I was like, nothing bores me more than data. Like, I love the, the whiteboard. Like, I like the unknown. So I like to create stuff. And then obviously get that feedback that it was worthwhile from customers and people who yeah. it has an impact in their life. You can get that at a bigger company. It's just hard because there's so many people that want. you need to get approvals from. And you start to lose that feeling of ownership because everyone has to put their stamp on it. When you're doing it yourself, you're fully empowered and it's amazing feeling. It's just it can also be really scary because if it doesn't work, there's no one to point the finger at but you. So you started in 2019, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think we were playing around in 2017. We got the shop in 2019, um, and then it really, you know, right when COVID hit is when we were sort of, you know, gaining some momentum for our shop.
0: So how'd that go?
1: So that, I mean, it pretty much closed the shop down, and then once we were all, you know, I was totally willing to forego profit to make sure everyone felt safe. So we didn't reopen until everyone felt comfortable and we set up the shop however it was for everyone to feel safe. We still paid people and it changed our model where obviously we went from people walking up to doing mostly pre-orders. We only had a little sliding window on our door so no one actually came into the shop. So we survived. We lost a lot of the foot traffic of people who were commuting and that sort of never came back. So the whole dynamic of that location changed. And what's your footprint now? So now our footprint is we're moving to a new place that is three times the size. Because one of our issues was this place that we were in. Again, when we were just starting out, we're like, does anyone really want a donut hole? And this is crazy. And because it was a hobby, we're like, I don't want to invest any more money that's going to – I don't want to invest enough money that this actually keeps me up at night. So we're looking for, like, the smallest, cheapest location. And we were literally cooking with – like tailgate fryers that you would buy. Like we didn't have an industrial fryer. We didn't have an industrial hood. We had nothing. We're like literally sitting back there to the point where I had a professional chef come in and he was horrified and impressed at the same time. He could not believe how bad the equipment was we were using, but then was shocked by the just sheer number of donut holes that we were, you know, pumping out the door and at such a level of quality. So this new place is probably about three times the size of our old one. It's in a much busier commercial location. It's closer to Boston because, again, we're really hoping to build our catering side of it. And so we want to have really good access to Boston. So, I mean, this is a significant step change. The other impact is that small little shop that we were in. We were only open two days a week. We were open Saturday and Sunday, right, 8 a.m. till 2, but we mostly sold out between 11 and 12. This new one, we're going to be the you know we're going to be open daily, so it's going to be fundamentally a totally new company with a new challenge.
0: Where's the new location? It's
1: in now uh, Somerville in Teal Square. When's it going to open? We're hoping in the next month, month and a half. And so you're
0: stepping up your commitment, though. I mean, obviously, if you're getting new equipment and signing a longer lease yeah. and all that kind of stuff, does that worry you at all? Or what, what's your mindset about money? What's your financial goal? With this project, the dream is that we break even
1: because
0: <laughs> 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 that's my comedy dream too whatever yeah, right? you have I that in comedy right,
1: it's it's a hobby, but I don't want it to be an expensive hobby. I've sunk a lot of money into it, but it's because I still see the vision and it's still enjoyable. I mean I think the part that makes it more serious for me is actually less about the money and it's more about the people that work there because they're mm-hmm. incredibly proud of it and they love it. And I don't want them to lose that opportunity. Right? Like I have this, this yeah. one woman who works for me at Mass Holes. And she's, you know, she tells a story of how, you know, when she goes to school night with her son and everyone, all the parents are talking. She'd always be embarrassed about her job because she was, you know, just working in random stores, f- fairly menial stuff. And then as soon as she got this job at Massholes Holes and shows up, she's the one everyone wants to talk about. <laughs> and talk to, and like, she had this sense of pride and she also never worked somewhere where she felt like the people she worked with were also her friends. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you put that burden on yourself and it's not about, you know, luckily it's not about, are we making money at the end of the month? It's, you know, it's how do we make, keep this going? Cause all of us working together, there's still this vision of how we can make it special and profitable and I would feel more at the yeah. end of the day, if it fails, I'm going to feel worse about the people who, you know, were giving their time, blood, you know, blood, sweat and tears to make this thing a reality that had to now go found another job versus me looking at my bank account and be like, holy shit, that was an expensive hobby.
0: I don't think it's going to fail. I have this funny feeling, Peter, it's not going to fail. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about this on the podcast is because there's this point in one's life where you start thinking about legacy you don't think about it when you're 25, at 20, well, you know, at least I sure as hell didn't 25. I'm like, let's go make some money. Let's get it. Let's go, you know, like eventually find a wife, get, you know, like get all the basics in place. Right. But at a certain point, you're like, you can make as much money as you want. Like, how do I make a dent on the culture? How do people know that I was here? Like, how do I make people think or feel differently? Is that on the top of your mind when you're building? Yeah, no,
1: I think it's it's a big part of it, and I don't think it's from an ego perspective. I don't want to like walk down the street and everyone's like, "Oh, that's the Masshole Donuts guy." Like, but it's more just me personally and how I'm driven. Like, I have a love for my state and my city, and I want to. I would love to be able to point to something just for myself to be like, "I did that. I've made a positive impact on the city." Right? Because I think I've joked like I'm not athletic enough to bring them a sports trophy, right? We're not going to have a world championship come to Boston because of me. And, you know, I'm not running. Gladstone's the goat. I'm not running for mayor. Like I, I, this is my skill set is marketing and, you know, creating fun experiences. And so I'm going to leverage the skill I have to try to make a positive impact on my community. And that to me, that's the legacy. Like, you know, I would even love like, God, it'd be great if 20 years from now, this is still here. And it's this big thing and my kids are running it. And I have this opportunity to bond with with my kids over building it as part of a legacy but i feel more or less of a family legacy of this one because they think everything i do is stupid and two more because <laughs> i want it to be a legacy for the the town and you know again it's a donut hole how is that a legacy but that's what i can do look ben and
0: jerry's created you know a legacy for vermont yeah. right jim cook boston beer when he started what 40 years ago beer in america was yeah. shit yeah. right he created a durable, enduring brand that contributes to the Boston culture as well. And it's now a national brand. What did you learn from Jim Cook? I mean,
1: I have learned a lot. I mean, I, I probably a day doesn't go by where I'm not thinking, like, what would Jim do? Because I just have so much yeah. respect for how he grew it. And, and, you know, he never compromised on quality. He's like, you know, he has a famous saying that I've stolen where it's, we never ask how much it costs, just how it tastes. And, you know, for mm. us, that means we're now paying 10x for our, for our sprinkles. Like, just little sprinkles, <laughs> and we pay 10x as the donut shop next to us because in a blind taste test, they taste better, right? Like, we want the best sprinkles. And even if people don't care, we know. Like, we, um, and you know, we even joke that's why we do the donut hole because that's the fillet of the donut. So we cut out the choices, most flavorful part of the donut, and we throw out the ring that, you know, Big Donut uses. And so, Big yeah. Donut. So, you know, <laughs> But inherent in that, and again, that's something I learned from, you know, Jim always positioned as the underdog, the little guy, right? We were craft beer fighting the big ABs of the world. So even though I don't right. see ourselves as a competitor to Dunkin' Donuts, it's kind of fun even for the employees to frame it as we're the David to that Goliath. And it gives you something sure. to work towards. And it just it creates a really fun culture. And I'm all about the culture because, and again, this is something Jim said. You actually spend more time with the people you work with every day than your family. So you want that is your right. second family, and you really want to get along. And you know, I just don't want to be a collection of individuals. I want to be a team. And you you do that through bonding yeah. and mutual respect. And I mean that's why coming back to the first thing you said, like humor is such a valuable tool for doing that.
0: I love that you source your sprinkles from an organic, locally sourced farm to table. Hey, they're free range
1: sprinkles. <laughs> handpicked alright
0: man What is uh, what does everybody need to know about Mass hole Donuts how can people outside of Boston experience the brand I, I mean,
1: honestly they have to come to Boston you know we get a lot of requests for shipping and we're really again, again leaving money on the table but we also want to give people the best donut experience in the world you gotta try them fresh that day I don't want to ship you donuts yeah. that three days later you try and you're like meh like no Like, so you know we're by design, restricting our supply. So, if you want a t shirt, yeah, jump on our website. We can send t shirts all around the country. But if you want to try the donuts, right now you got to come to Somerville because that's the only place they're going to okay. be. Okay. So, number one,
0: if you know or love or hate a masshole, buy a t shirt and send it to them. We're going to put a link to your website and to your Instagram account uh, in the show notes. Follow masshole donuts on Instagram. And when you're planning a trip to Boston, Make time to go to Somerville, yeah. Ma, and see Mass Hold Donuts live. And And you're open what time? Well,
1: right now we're not open at all. So the timing of this is well, I mean, Well,
0: you're going to be. What's the plan for so hours? the plan
1: right now is it's donuts, probably at least 7 to 11, 7 to 12 for people to get morning coffee and donut. But we think because of the nature of where we are, we might also open late at night. Like we have this idea of Mass Holes After Dark where we do donut hole and, and beer pairing or you know we've talked about yeah. because we're so close to Tufts we want to take like an old golf yeah. cart or something that's street legal and make it like the pope mobile and do midnight yeah. mass holes and we have someone deliver in the mass hole mobile yeah. <laughs> just like the pope would dressed
0: dressed yeah. like the pope yeah <laughs> that's sacrilege <laughs> and yeah, but not a lot of catholics in no, boston will no be notice. fine, be it's, fine. A, it's
1: it's 7 uh, <laughs> midnight
0: just the right amount of controversy yeah months, though
1: so yeah, as of now, that's how they can, that's how they can experience us and the brand. And part of the experience of the donuts is also experiencing the shop, right? Like it has a vibe and people are happy. Yeah. Like we joke, we're in the happiness business. We're not necessarily just in the donut business. So we try to make every interaction fun. We're always doing wacky things in the shop. So part of it is coming and having, you know, that experience.
0: Okay. So we're recording this on March. Is it March 2nd or 3rd? One of those yeah, days of 2023. So- so we're looking at, like, mid-April
1: opening, probably, early I mean mid-April. be safe mid to end of April 2023.
0: Peter, thank you for the time. I love what you're doing with Mass Whole Donuts. I love that it is the manifestation of all the weirdness and the brilliance between your ears. And I can't wait to see what happens. Thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, no, happy to, so excited to have you, you know, invite me on. And obviously, when you come to Boston and you do a show, we're going to cater it with some, I don't know, pee holes or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> that well, yeah, right
0: uh, dude. It would be the honor of my life yes, to have a donut, we will, we will a donut hole a donut whole day after, after, after you.
1: Me. You gotta, you tell us what you want it to taste like, and we will make it happen.
0: Respect the hole,
1: hashtag respect the hole.